Exposure. Pulse 95 Live from Exposure at the Expo Center Sharjah. And we're back live right here, Pulse 95 Radio, at the 7th edition of the International Photography Festival. That is Exposure. There's so much to do here and so much to see for the curious-minded or anyone in the field. If you have a hobby in photography or filmmaking, then you ought to come here. This is the third day of Exposure. And believe me, it's a huge itinerary from seminars to exhibitions and workshops and industry experts. We got some of the most world-class photographers. And with me today, a storyteller uh, by, the, by the name of Randy Olson. It's my pleasure to introduce Randy Olson, a renowned social documentary photographer who has traveled to over 50 countries in the past 30 years. Along with his wife, he has produced a wealth of published work for National Geographic, contributed to over 70 books and taught at the University of Missouri. Randy is also the founder of the Photo Society, which supports National Geographic photographers, hosts free monthly lectures on photography, and has received numerous awards for his work, including the 2017 Siena International Photo Awards for photo, uh, Photographer of the Year, as well as recently the 2021 Hamdan bin Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum International Photography Appreciation Award. Award. Welcome to the show, Randy. <laughs> Thank you, happy now, to be here. I've gone to chance to see your exhibition. Entangled, and it is literally in the name. I find myself getting embroidered with the visual clutter in some of these imagery. I would say there's like this main theme that you're going for, and maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not. It's a person like a, an interpretation for anybody who sees it. The theme of waste, you know, and the, the the byproduct of you could say maybe a human presence to the beautiful nature in our world. One of my personal favorites is the the Indonesian river where some of the illegal miners are chipping away right beside and it's almost like the water's gonna tip into the mine but it doesn't and it feels like nature is always at edge with humans um, can you tell us a little bit about these photographs because some of them just are almost overbearing you know I could sit and nitpick some parts of it and there's still more story with every frame well that's very nice of you to say um, so you were talking about the consequence part. Yes. So it's uh, extraction, population, consequence. So when I did the seven billion story for National Geographic, when we turned seven billion, it didn't seem that long ago. Now we're yeah. eight billion. Ooh, still trying um, to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, it turns out, you know, I'm a journeyman photographer, but a lot of my assignments have uh, involved resource extraction and its uh, consequences, how it affects pristine ecosystems, uh, indigenous populations, that, that kind of thing. So this exhibit for the first time is when I've combined all of those three. They usually get exhibited or published um, uh, separately. Yeah. But they're all related. I mean, uh, in my talk, I'm gonna show a picture of Melissa and myself when we got together early on, uh, 1981, there were four billion people in the world. My God. It's, you know, uh, she was in her, it was 40 years ago. So the more people you have, the more resource extraction you need. And as much as I get um, upset about timber companies putting um, pesticides in our coastal watershed and I'm trying to fight that, I also built a house that has a lot of wood in it. You know, there, there are all these entanglements, you know, there are all these things that, yeah, this is bad, but 
you can't tell you know someone who lands on the planet that they have to go away. You exactly. have to take care of them. And it's so, the world is not black and white, and your your photographs, your gallery is is of all types of colors. It's it's gray, and some of it can be beautiful. Um, and I think that's that's what it is. It's the complexity of our existence in a world that's can be so pure and precious. And I want to ask more about your 30 years in the career. Uh, what has been your biggest challenge as, as a photographer? Because so I see some of these images and they might not be as easy as, you make it look easy, but I know it can't be easy. Well, you know, the, the biggest challenge is generally the one you're working on at the time. But uh, some of the areas uh, that are kind of conflict areas like Sudan, um, we, I got into areas in the north that people hadn't been in for 20 years and I spent more time being detained than I was free even though we had the ministers on speed dial and I could generally get a get out of jail free card but anyone down to a dog catcher could throw me into you know detention because uh, there's seven countries surrounding Sudan yeah. and at any given time they might be at war with all of them so anyone with a camera is a spy. In fact, when I landed at the hotel, you always land, it's dark, and you're dragging your bags over chunks of concrete and rebar, and you don't know where you are. And, but usually when you wake up in the morning, it's, it's all good. But I, I get up in the morning, my fixer meets me, and he starts reading from the newspaper, and it, it says something like, if you want to take a beautiful picture along the Nile and your hand reaches for your camera, you must realize that this is an illegal act. Yes. <laughs> you know? And so that's how it started. And, you know, when I went to the south, I had to photograph uh, quickly before they trained the MiG pilots because helicopter gunships, uh, if you can see them on the horizon, you can land your plane and get back out of there. But there, there were just a lot of complications. You know, I got five tons of corn into an area where people were eating the leaves out of the bottoms of the tree, or the tops of the trees, because they'd already eaten out of the bottoms of the trees. Wow. I mean, it was just, you know, and that's their lives. I mean, who am I to complain, right? Exactly. But it yeah. was You compare your difficulties and you see theirs and realize it's almost minute. minute. And uh, you're not a one-man army. Um, you do this with your wife. Uh, Melissa, and I wanted to ask, how is it that you... Um, can uh, you two can collaborate um, your photo projects? We, we don't collaborate on all of them, but there have been multiple ones where we have. And we tend to cover overlapping territories. I mean, we don't, um, sometimes we photograph together, but often we have separate uh, missions and then, you know, end up in the same place eventually. Mm. And, and, and you being such a master of your work, sooner or later, you, in, sometime in your life, you found yourself becoming a mentor. So how do you find that balance of being a photographer, but also being a teacher at the same time? Well, right now I'm trying to help nonprofits, not only in our area, but uh, in other areas. So what's happened in the United States with um, Web2, when all the advertising went to you know the web instead of newspapers and all that, we have all these news deserts. And so instead of media organizations or healthy media organizations, we've, we've lost 60% of our newsrooms and 80% of the photographers. And we find ourselves even getting more digitized. Yes, and Web3 is coming, uh, you know. So I'm trying to help uh, these nonprofits because 
uh, social media is not making up for these newsrooms that have disappeared. It can be quite a clutter. Yeah. And information obesity and all. And so you end up, instead of having a newspaper, you've got someone pounding away on their laptop on their kitchen table doing newsletters. So I'm trying to, in, my mentoring is very strategic because I don't have you know, a lot of time, but I, I do want to do this. So the mentoring is now getting those folks up to speed visually um, as they're struggling to take on you know, large resource extractors and other other folks that are polluting their environment which is my you know theme yeah by making them more visually aware and i can generally get someone with an iphone pretty um in a pretty good shape uh with just kind of the patina of professionalism you have to put over a picture content takes a, a, a long time but my goal is to get as many of these folks up and visually literate and communicating better in their missions where they're these David and Goliath kind of missions. Which brings me to your, uh, your most recent uh, contribution. Um, you're doing a focus group called Building Visual Language happening, uh, or it actually did happen. And it sold out, so that means, uh, seems a lot of people were very interested. But I, I wanna ask you a little bit more about this focus group and how can it impact um, you know, anybody who's starting in the industry and those who probably have been there for quite a while? It was the same thing. It was uh, that I was just talking about. It's this patina of professionalism. You know, it was only an hour, so it, it was pretty much the same thing I'm doing with these nonprofits. So one of the stories I've done is, is plastic around the world. And so I was in a lot of dumps, you know, so you've got to make a decision. How pretty am I going to make this dump look? And you've got to make it look good enough so that someone is going to pay attention to the photograph. You hope they read the story, get more information. But you don't want to look at, make it look too pretty because then you're not being true to the, the nature of the thing itself. Exactly. So that balance is, is a lot of what I talk about and how... Uh, Things like uh, phi, which is the number that describes all organic, you know, it describes our DNA, it describes galaxies, all of those kind of stuff. So I use those grids a lot. And I talk about shapes and how the weight of those different shapes and giving the shapes all their own space. Things that people can actually grasp pretty quickly, especially if you send them out to do it just that you know not worry about anything else and then that layer of professionalism they get it and it helps I mean to, to bring someone up to a professional photographer takes you know years but this this approach that I've kind of developed by teaching a workshop at Stanford uh, semester after semester after semester um, is is very helpful it's like the fundamentals of, of something that you want to pursue you know, and, and try to capture. And uh, if, if you think of a house and you think of all the structural materials in the house, but then there's flash work, you know, there's drywall, there's paint, there's, you know, all that stuff that looks good. I'm just talking about the drywall and paint. I'm not talking about the wiring. I'm not talking about the masonry, yeah. you know, the plumbing. It's just it's focusing in. Yeah. Honestly, a very fascinating insight. Uh, Randy Olson, I urge you to check out his exhibition labeled uh, Entangled. And believe me, you're going to find yourself coming back to it a couple more times. I think this. I think before I interviewed you, I that was my third time coming back there. And I find myself 
you know, just dissecting something new with some of your photographs. Phenomenal stuff. And this is just one of the many photographers we have here. Uh, Randy Olson, thank you so much for being here at the Exposure. And I hope you have a great time. And we hope to have you again here next year in Sharjah. Great. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Let's take a short break. And coming up next, uh, we have another photographer we're going to speak to more right here at the 7th edition of Exposure, only on Pulse 95.